And now I'd like you to turn to Colossians, if you would, uh, as we study our new, new section this week, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to focus on the first 11 verses. Um, and now Paul is going to speak about the characteristics of Christ. If we are, in fact, the, the people of God, we should, in fact, have the characteristics of Christ. If we are to show people in the world what we are about, then we must have the characteristics of Christ. We can't have the characteristics of the world. And this goes back into my, my message even from last week, understanding this. You cannot have the characteristics of the world. You can't walk like the world. You can't go like the world. You have to be different from the world. And he's going to speak to these issues right now. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. And, and it's interesting because in my scripture, the title of this chapter says, Rules for Holy Living. Uh, and I think this is so poignant uh, for us today. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And let me stop on that at that point. He's recognizing that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. Understand this. This is important theology for you to get. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, fully equal to God the Father, sitting there at the right hand of God, and is interceding for us every moment of the day. That is why when you have a need, you get on your knees and you pray to God the Father and you close that prayer in the name of Jesus. Because as you close that prayer in the name of Jesus, God acknowledges that prayer. All right? Now, that doesn't mean every prayer is yes. The answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's not yet. But those prayers make their way to the throne of God. And while I'm speaking about the issue of prayer, let me say this also, and this saddens me to say it. I wish I couldn't say it, but I would not be a good teacher if I didn't. Though the prayers of those who are not Christians, the prayers who, are, who do not believe in Jesus Christ, those prayers do not make their way to God. Sorry to say that. And you say to me, John, you're a bigot. You're a bigot. You're biased. Well, then I would say, well, let's turn to John 14. Because most likely, if you ask me to speak at your funeral, if I'm still around, this is the verse that I would speak on, which I do at every funeral I speak at. Jesus answered, verse 6, John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Period. End of sentence. Period. End of sentence. What part of that do you not understand? What part of no one comes to the Father except through me? No one comes, meaning not only will you come in heaven, but your prayers coming before the throne of grace cannot even be answered because unless they're sealed with Jesus Christ, they're not answered. Now, that doesn't mean that from time to time, God might not answer the prayer of someone who is not a Christian who is searching and God recognizes that they're searching, and in that search, God will recognize that prayer. That could happen. But as a course of regular conduct, as a course of regular conduct, you need to understand something. This is why you need to speak to the lost. They don't realize this. They think that even though they haven't accepted Christ, that they can still pray and God will answer them. They don't know this. All right? 
And, and just like I spoke uh, last week about the ministry of reconciliation, they don't realize that they need reconciliation with God. If you said to somebody, do you feel like you're reconciled with God? A lot of people would say, I don't even know what the word means. What does it mean, reconciliation? They don't even understand it, that they're in an open, adverse relationship to God. It's as if they're shaking their fist at God. They don't know this. They think they're just walking through this world with their own philosophy. Well, God doesn't take it that way. And so here you see this. Paul, Paul is laying it out for us that we have been raised with Christ Jesus um, and everything that we are, everything that we will be, we owe to him. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, if we are men of God, can you honestly say that that's what you're doing have you set your mind on the things of God, or are you consumed with earthly things? Really. I mean, when you get up in the morning, is the first thing you do is check out the Wall Street Journal to see how much you're worth today? Is that the first thing you do, or do you hit Fox News, find out how many people got killed last night, find out how many Democrats and Republicans are, are, are killing each other? Is that the first thing that you do? Because I would say that all that is are worldly things. Or do you pick up your Bible, perchance, and see what God has for you, and study and pray? Do you do that? Because that's, that's what God wants from us. He wants us, as men of God, to aspire to a higher thing, to a higher element. And by doing that, focus on the things of God. All right? Look. We have to live in this world. We have to make a living. That's understood. But we don't want to get obsessed with it. We want to instead keep our focus on God's things, on what God has for us. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, you, you died. Your old man that you had, that you were born with, before you gave it to Christ, that body is dead. That man is dead. You have been resurrected through Jesus Christ because when you believed him, he gave you life eternal. Let's understand that. He gave you life eternal. And so now recognize that he gave you life eternal and demonstrate that to, to a world that is lost. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also will appear, you also will appear with him in glory. Look, that means that there will come a time when Christ will come back to this world. In second coming. And when he comes back, he will appear in glory. And every single one of you that have given your hearts to God, to Jesus Christ, will appear with him, behind him, as he comes back to this world. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. You'll all be there appearing with him. But this verse means more than that. It means we need to appear with God and Christ now. So that when you leave here, people know who you are. He's with Jesus. He's one of them. He's different. There's something different about him. Can you really say that that's the kind of evidence your life is giving? Look, I understand. Uh, I had to come to terms with this in my life. Uh, and really, only when I got to be about 50 years old did I recognize that my life was not fully in accord with God's will. Uh, and, and that even though I considered myself a Christian, even though I loved God, the evidence wasn't there in my life. How does that happen? It happens because you focus on the things of this world and not on the things of God. It's so easy to understand this. So that even as a Christian, even as a saved guy, these lessons need to be drilled down. 
Now, this is, a, this is important for us to understand this. Uh, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death. Now, unfortunately, we can't put to death once and for all all these things uh, that he's going to speak about here. We're not going to be able to do it all at once uh, because what happens is that as you have the flesh in your life, you're going to have to put to death these things on a daily basis. I'm sorry to say. And some of us struggle with more of these things than others. But look, look at how, how clear he is and how he writes specifically of these sins. And I want you to think about something as we study this. This is written 2,000 years ago. Does this sound like it could have been written today? I mean, seriously, does this sound like it could have been written today? Because it sure sounds like it to me. So when you think about it, that 2,000 years ago, the Christian church, the first century, is focused on the issue of, well, let's see what he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. First up, sexual immorality. How's that? Oh, Paul, you're speaking to the church. You're speaking to the church. That's right. I am. Sexual immorality, meaning what? Fornication. That's what he's talking about. Fornication. Lust. All right? All kinds of sexual issues outside of marriage. And clearly in the first century church, that was an issue. And so here he is preaching to this first century church and preaching with the fact that these people who consider themselves Christians, who consider themselves called by Christ, are still involved in fornication. And let me say this to you now, that, that truly, if, if sexual passion is an issue for you, and I know that it is for many people, and today it's been made even easier for you because you can go into your study, you can turn on your computer, you can tell your wife you have some a very significant research to do, <laughs> and then 2 o'clock in the morning, evil is coming into your mind, all right? And the more you see it, the more you want it. The more you want it. And the passions in your heart are lifted. And the lust is lifted. Because Satan understands this. This is what uh, sexual immorality does. It drags you down. Do you think you're going to have a powerful Christian life? And I, by the way, I'm speaking to saved guys. All right? This is not meaning that you're not saved. He's talking to the first century church. They were saved. But what happens when you get involved in this garbage, when it comes into your mind, these passions come in and take control of your life, you are dragged down in the mud. You will lead no one to Christ. No one is going to be led to Christ by someone who is sold out to these kind of depravities. Wise up. And here's the thing. Here is the thing. God has given you the tools because there's a very big difference between a Jew of the Old Testament, who understands he's got 612 rules and regulations that cover this stuff. And the Christian, the very big difference is you have the grace of God. You understand that? You have the grace of God. Meaning what? That what you need to do is at the moment of temptation, you need to bow your head. Father, help me. Take this thought away from me, Lord. Wash me with the blood of Jesus. And he will do it. He'll do it. He'll answer that prayer. The problem is a lot of us don't want to make that prayer because we like it. 
because it appeals to our baser nature. Well, let me tell you something. You understand you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have to walk with Christ. This is not the walk with Christ. Uh, and God is speaking out to you and letting you know that this, that this is a very serious issue. And so here he is. He's speaking here about sexual immorality. He's speaking about fornication. Today, that would be not just a physical fornication, but mental fornication. And you know, Jesus made it very clear that just because you don't go out and have an affair with a woman physically, if you see a woman and all of a sudden you have lust in your heart, look, I know how you're wired. I'm a man. You see a beautiful woman go by, I understand what it is. Immediately your eyes turn and you look. But let me tell you something. Once you turn, turn back. Okay? Turn back. And if you find it difficult to turn back, ask God to give you grace, because he will give you grace. Because ultimately, these things get into your mind and get into your heart, and the lust of the spirit grows, and it affects you, and it metastasizes you, and this becomes a very serious issue. And I've seen families broken, broken by pornography, broken by, by fornication and sin, broken by adultery, Incredible families dissolve uh, because of this. And we don't realize it. And the effects of the sin go out generation after generation after generation. Because you got one generation of a broken family feeding into another generation of a broken family. When there's no evidence of what a godly father should be. Well, end it. God's given you the grace to end it. Look, this is a hard thing to preach at 8 o'clock in the morning. All right? And it's probably harder to hear. But God is speaking to you. This is Brother Paul speaking to you 2,000 years ago through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Put this to death. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity. That's impurity of all, of all things. Lust. Oh, God, help us. Lust. Lust. Lust means not just sexual lust, but lust of money, lust of power. All of those things that you see in the world that you want that you can't necessarily have, but you lust for it, and it fills your heart with desire, lust. Because every single one of these things will allow itself to grow into evil. It grows into evil. How? Because as you lust and you want it, then you resent somebody that has it, and then the resentment grows to jealousy, and the jealousy grows to evil. How do you think that happens? That's how sin grows in our hearts. So I ask God, Lord, take this away from me. If you haven't given it to me, Lord, then I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't have to be a zillionaire. I don't have to be driving the fanciest cars. I don't have to be driving. I don't have to be living in the biggest house. Lord, help me to be happy with what you've given me. Isn't that the prayer you want? I ask God, help me to be happy with what you've given me, Lord. And take these other thoughts away from me, Father. This is the example that you want me to live to a world. That's what the world needs to see, a man who is happy with God, happy with his wife, happy with his children, happy where God has placed him. This becomes an important lesson to the world. That's what this is all about. Then he lists it as evil desires and greed. Greed, oh, greed is awful. Greed is awful. You know, where you look at something and you covet it and you want it, and then, then if you got it, then you just want it all for yourself. You know, this is why when people say to me, John, uh, do you believe in tithing? <clears throat> and my answer is yes, I do. Uh, I don't believe that the tithe goes to one church. 
I don't believe that. I don't believe there's any basis in Scripture that says that the tithe goes to one church. I believe that the tithe goes to multiple efforts by the kingdom of God in many different avenues, all right? But I actually believe that we need to do more than tithing because if you studied the, the uh, Old Testament Scriptures, the Pharisees were giving away between 20 and 30 percent uh, of their goods. How about that? Now, you'll come back and say, well, there's no federal income tax. And, and I'd say that that's a good point, especially today since it's April 15th, and I commend those of you who have already been able to come here knowing that, and we understand that. But notwithstanding that, we recognize that, what, that greed occurs when you suddenly say that everything that I have is mine, mine, and I'll parcel it off one tiny bit at a time. Not recognizing that whatever you have, and I've said it before, but I'll drill it home now, whatever you have as a person of God, whatever it is, God gave it to you. You understand? God gave it to you. Whether it's a small amount or a gigantic amount, He gave it to you. That includes not just money, and possessions. It includes your talents and your gifts. He gave it to you. And so what happens with greed is we, we forget that he gave it to us. We think we acquired it ourselves because we are so smart. We worked hard. Nobody knows how hard I worked. And let me tell you something. Uh, you know, that lesson was drilled home to me, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, when my father, when I was bragging about where I was going as a young lawyer, and my father said to me, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Could you do this if you didn't have health? Well, no. Well, could you couldn't do this if you didn't have opportunity? Well, no. Well, could you do it if you didn't have gifts that God had given you? No. Could you do it if you didn't have your mother and father and other people praying for you here? No. And so by the time I got done from breakfast, I told you I was a midget walking out of the house. <laughs> I needed help having the door open for me to get outside. I wasn't that... This is, but you know what? This is the people of God speaking truth into your life. That's what you need to have. You need to have a mother and a father. Well, you know what? Your mother and father aren't here, but God is speaking to you right now. Now, he's speaking to your hearts. Look, don't let greed get into your life. Don't be enveloped with, this, with the worldly possession of things. Understand that it's all his. And then don't come to me and say, do I give, uh, give the net or the gross? That's one of my other favorite things. I mean, I'm going to tithe, but I want to I know exactly. I want to know exactly because I don't want to jip myself. Is it the net? Yeah, that's right. That's good. Yeah, you don't want to jip yourself. Then you recognize that it's all his to start with. It's all his to start with. And so, you know, understand this, that Paul is speaking to this church and telling them about the nature of greed. We don't have to preach tithing. I don't have to preach tithing. I'm preaching something far greater than tithing. He says, and then he, he says, greed, which is idolatry. What does that mean, greed, which is idolatry? This is what it means. It's as you become greedy and covetous, you then elevate those items to, an, to become an idol. Oh, 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 I want that car. That car would make me so happy. If I had that car, people would respect me if I had that car. 
Okay, all right. People would respect me if they saw me driving down with that car, and now that car becomes an idol. Forget that car. Forget that car. Look, if God has given you the blessings where you can afford an expensive car, God bless you. But don't let this thing become an idol. All right? Don't let this thing become an idol. That's why the Bible has made it very clear that it is the love of money that it is the root of all evil, evil, not money itself. God could bless you, and he's blessed many people. And I look out in this group of guys, I see many guys that have been blessed with affluence uh, and talent. And God has blessed them, and yet they bow before the throne of God. And they recognize that that's where it's from, and that they don't covet, and they don't have greed. Well, he's preaching to the first century church about rules for a holy living. Uh, continuing on, verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Let's talk about that. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. So the question becomes, is it still coming? Has it come? Has it arrived? Are we living with it? And I believe that we are currently living with some of the wrath of God. Look, have you ever wondered why, as we've broken the rules of sexuality and morality, and we lived the kind of life where, where people fornicate uh, on demand, all right, and we violate all the rules about perversion, why is it now that the world is filled with a plethora of sexual diseases? Have you wondered about that? Really? Now, here's the thing. Here's how the wrath of God works. It's not like God says, boom, I'm giving you AIDS. Boom, I'm giving you venereal disease. No, God doesn't do that. But what God does is he withdraws his protective hedge. You understand this? Do you see the difference? There is a protective hedge that God has put around us. That as we live and walk with God, he's given a protective hedge. And he's kept these things away from us. But at a certain period of time, God will remove the protective hedge. You've seen that. You saw it with Saul. He removed the protective hedge around Saul. God does this. And I believe that's what the wrath of God is. That's what the wrath of God is. Uh, it, it's, it's not really uh, an angry God. Rather, it's a benign God who says, if you don't follow my ways, if you don't follow my will, the, the, the uh, uh, expectations are not good. The expectations are not good. And that's why we need to understand this. The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Now, underline this in your Bible. Anger, malice, rage, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Let me work backward with one of my favorites. Filthy language from your lips. I am astounded. I am astounded when I, when I am sometimes in the company of Christians and I hear the vulgarities coming out of their mouth. You need to ask God to forgive you and wash you. You need to ask God to take this away from you. Do you think anybody is going to be drawn to the cross of Christ because you know how to curse? Really? You think that's advancing the kingdom of God? Here he is, he's speaking 2,000 years ago. Uh, a filthy language. Language that does not elevate God. Listen, you want to be the kind of guy that no word like that ever comes out of your mouth. 
No word comes out of your mouth like that. And I understand that some of us were raised in tough neighborhoods, but you know what? That's 70 years ago. Grow up. That's 70 years ago. Grow up. Be the kind of godly man that God has called you to be. He hasn't called you to speak that kind of language. He's called you to speak an elevated language, to bring people to Christ. And so if you've got this problem, and I know some of you do, you need to bow and right now ask God to wash you in his blood, to take this away from you because he's given you the grace of Christ to deliver you from that. You've heard it from me. He's given you the grace to be delivered from this. All right? Don't let it become habit forming. Well, it's just, a, I don't mean anything by it, John. It's just a habit. Then stop it. Then stop it. Okay? God is making it absolutely clear. He doesn't want to hear that kind of language. Now, some of the other ones are a little bit harder to fix. A little bit harder to fix. Uh, and, and, and he's saying to us that we can't have these anger and rage. Anger and rage. Now, I don't know why I feel I have to speak about this to this group, because I know that this is a very peaceable group. There's no anger here. There's no malice. Well, maybe the only anger is you get in your car in Naples during the height of the season, and you can have multiple episodes of anger and rage. Uh, and this is something that I suffered with uh, as a younger person, uh, that I did have anger issues. Uh, I did have anger issues. Uh, and it's only when, I, when God called me that I focused on the, on the cross, and I said, wait a minute, John, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? Christ saved you. You have eternal life. You're going to be with your family. He's going to take care of you for the rest of your life. He's holding you in the palm of his hand. What are you angry about? I don't even know what I'm angry about. Some unseen issue back in prehistoric times. Who knows what I'm angry about? But here's the thing. You understand that that's the old person. That's the old man. That's you before Christ came into your heart. That's you before you accepted Jesus Christ, that you had anger and malice issues. Uh, and now he's saying to you, rid yourself of those. How can you rid yourselves? Ask God to pour his presence into your life. Ask God to give you the grace, because if you do that, he will honor that. He will give that to you. He will take that away. Uh, and so you see anger, rage, malice, slander, slander, slander. I mean, how often have we said things about people? How often have we gossiped? We even gossip in church. Really? All right? And, 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 it's, and I hate to say it, but I saw somebody say it once. There's such a thing as prayer gossip. You know what I'm talking about. My, in other words, I'm praying for a family. It's not enough that I pray for a family, but I got to know, well, what exactly did he do? Well, he ran around with the neighbor's wife. Oh, he ran around with his wife? Yeah, okay. You don't need to know that he ran around with the neighbor's wife. You understand? That's prayer gossip. You don't need to know that. You just need to elevate them and say, Father, touch that family. Lift that person up. Because you see how slander and gossip comes into your life and it perverts you. This is all about the perversion of a holy person. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to walk where your light comes out of yourself, where people are drawn to you. Look, you live this kind of life, people will be drawn to you. They'll understand that you walk with Jesus. 
They'll see that you're different from anybody else because you won't speak like they do. You're not angry with like they are. You don't slander people like other people do. And so you understand such things. Then verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. How about that? You are being renewed every day in the image of Jesus Christ. So stop lying. Oh. Well, sometimes uh, I, it's just a little white lie, Lord. You know, sometimes it's just a little white lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. Learn to speak in love. Learn to speak in love and to care for the lost and to care for your families and to lift them up in prayer in every possible way. Learn to do that. Learn to do that. And so you see here, uh, Paul is speaking to you about understanding the fact that the old self has been buried. And if you're saying to me today, and many of you might, well, you know what, John, I believe in Jesus, but I find that, that my old self is not buried then we need to make a prayer today. We need to ask God today, Lord, today I mark it in the sand. Today, Lord, bury the old self today. I, I, I take you, Lord, into my life. I ask you to come into my life, Lord, to infuse, you, infuse me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior from this day forward and bury the old self. I don't want to be that man anymore. I want to be your man. I want to walk with you. I want to lift up the lost. I want the world to see that I am with you in every possible way. And here he says in verse 11, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Can I get an amen? You understand? There's no divisions between us as Christians. We're not separated by by being different. Doesn't matter where you're, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're white or you're black. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. God looks at us all as equals under the kingdom of God. And so he's calling us. He's beseeching us today. Make this the first day of the rest of your life. Make your life holy. He's forgiven you from what you've done. Your sins are in the past. Now move forward. That's the understanding of what Jesus has done, and you need to incorporate that into your life, to ask God to deliver you from these issues, to strengthen you, to lift you up, to make you the calling card that God wants you to be so that when you walk into a room, they will say, oh, yeah, he walks with Christ. He walks with Christ. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given us today, the inspiration of these words, the warning, Father. Help us today not to, not to be dwelling on the old man, but to look at the new man. Help us, Lord, to be rid of these excesses and these sins and these vices. Deliver us, Father, from every one of these issues. Let the, let the blood of Jesus pour over us. Let the grace of Christ come into our lives so that we understand we have the power through you to defeat these things. No demon, no principality can bring us down. But you, Father, will lift us up in every way. Be with our men. Protect them this week. 
And bring them back in two weeks, Father, to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.